Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Liz Waterstrot. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sarah. Did you get all the water out of your ears after your swim <laughs> this morning? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Are you a uh, eardrops, you know, the get the water out of your ears type person or no? I, I'm thinking no. Have never had an issue with water in my ears. Really? Oh, my gosh. It bedevils me. Um, really? Oh, and it drives me nuts when I get out of the pool or the pond and I can't hear very well out of my right ear. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm all hmm. about all about the drops. Yeah. 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 Ah. So anyway, but I played. I'll give you one guess what I played this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, before you were on, Barry and I took a little bet <laughs> on whether or not you would talk about the P word. <laughs> and... What I love about Barry is he played right along with me and he said, she played pickleball this morning already, so she'll probably have something to say about it. So just, just go right ahead, Sarah. No, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because this is another mother runner. So I will tell you that I ran the furthest I have last Saturday on, ran the furthest I have since February of 2022. And most importantly, I felt dynamite during the run and afterward Mm -hmm. yeah that is wonderful news sarah that's that's been a long time coming it sure it sure has so i ran 7.3 miles because as i was heading home i'm like oh i think i'm not gonna run far enough so i i tag on a little extra distance when i'm not close to home because sort of worried that if I get too close to the barn, I'll just run for it. I don't really have a barn. I was, I was using a horse analogy there. Uh, I live in a city. <laughs> so anyway, so I overshot it a little bit, but yeah, I just felt, I just felt dynamite. I felt so good while I was running and oh my goodness, I'm listening to an audiobook, and it is not one that you would think would make you feel great while you're running, but maybe it's what made me have the horse and barn analogy, which is it's called the Oregon Trail by Rinker Buck. And oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on that author's name. What's going on there? Oh, I know. I know. Please. If you, if you stumble through with the letters, man, it could end up ugly. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, he, he's, he has numerous, numerous siblings. So I think the family just was like, wow, just pull some Scrabble tiles out <laughs> of the bag. Right. Pull a name out of the hat. You got a vowel. I'll take a consonant. Right. So, but oh my gosh. So it is about the the book, which I had not intended on talking about, is uh, Rinker himself reads it. And it is he and his brother went across the Oregon Trail from Independence, Missouri, out here to Oregon in a covered wagon being pulled by a mule team. And they were the first people, I I forget how many years ago they did it. Let's say it was in the past decade. They were the first people to do it since the early 1900s. This is a real story then. It, it's truly fascinating. <laughs> they took like the schooner wagon. Is that is that what it's called? <laughs> oh my gosh, look at you knowing that it is a schooner because it is not the Conestoga. The Conestoga was East Coast and it was not well suited for the Oregon Trail. So yes, it was a schooner. Look at you. I'm really impressed. But I gotta tell 
that's the type of minutia he gets into. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Okay. <laughs> they could have just taken a car. <laughs> but oh my goodness, they and and they were their father was a was really into taking them on wagon rides or, you know, ox pulled carts when they were kids. And so he kind of came I think he grew up in um I want to say he might have grown up in Amish country, but he he himself is not Amish. And so but I got to tell you on that 7.3 mile run Easily two miles of it was listening to Rinker talk about mules and the history of mule breeding in the U.S. And oh, I was boy. like, give me more. Just keep talking, Rinker, because I'm here for you. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's because I live in Oregon. I find the Oregon Trail just a riveting topic. Yeah. yeah. So and on yesterday's run, the, the thing that nearly made me stagger, literally stagger was that cholera can kill so quickly that people on the Oregon Trail, you could be having lunch with someone and they would seem perfectly fine. And by dinner time, they would be dead of cholera. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. It, it puts the sniffles right into perspective, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> I got a splinter. Yeah. Talk to the hand because I don't care. Yeah. Or the man flu even. You know, your, your husband comes flu. down with something. <laughs> You're like, at least it's not cholera. <laughs> right. <laughs> Should we get t-shirts made up to say, at least it's not cholera? <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, that's what kept me occupied during my 7.3 mile run, but it, it sure did. It was, it was really good. So anyway, it <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you might've been like, yeah, I'm done. I'm turning this off and going home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, I do like a good yarn, but I don't know if I could read a whole book on the Oregon trail. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, there are no mule trains here. Instead, we are talking about the training and racing concerns of back of the pack runners. So this topic was suggested by our guest, Coach Jen Steele, who's from Carlsbad, California, who's an RRCA and Revolution, I can't even say it, Revolution running certified run coach, as well as the become a runner and 5K coach in our very own Train Like a Mother Club. Jen is the mom of two young kids and Coach Jen will talk about the physical, mental and emotional aspects and concerns of being a not so speedy runner. And Coach Liz, I know you might chime in as well. And when Jen suggested this episode, she wrote runners hitting 13 to 15 minute miles are often left to figure out how to adapt for themselves. Thank you, Jen, for joining us to discuss this important topic. Thank you. I'm excited. It's been something on my mind a lot lately. <laughs> good, 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 good. Jen, tell us a little bit about your own running journey and if you identify as a back-of-the-pack runner. Yeah, so I don't anymore, but for most of my running journey, I did. I started running as an adult, so I was in my early 20s. And I honestly can't even tell you the paces for my first couple of races because I didn't care. I was just happy to be out running. But I can tell you I was not in the first group of people finishing the race. When I ran my first marathon, I was almost seven hours to finish, which the race, you know, was officially I had people telling me that I wasn't going to have a finish line. Like there was people who mm. thought they were encouraging, but they really were just very frustrating to me um, saying, you know, there's not going to be any medals. The finish line's going to be gone. You need to go. And at this point, you know. When you're at seven hours and most marathons close the finish line at six hours, there was no hope that I was going to get there before the cutoff. Mm. But 
yeah. So that's kind of, um, that was about 10 to 12 years ago when that happened. And I just kind of kept running ever since, threw in some babies. Um, and then the consistency over time paid off. I started, you know, working with a coach, doing speed work, following some of the plans from another mother runner and have, you know, gotten faster since then, but I'm sure there'll be a time where I am going back to the back of the pack as life happens. Mm. So it, there truly was the finish line been taken down. There was no one handing out medals at the end of your seven mile journey. It was seven <laughs> there. There still was. They had not taken anything mm, okay, down good. yet, but there was people good. maybe at like mile 23, like some guy came by on mm. a Segway and was like yelling at us. Oh, it was awesome. On a segue. Oh, yes. As if, the, as if the injustice wasn't great enough, what he was saying, he had to be on a segue. The insult like, to injury. <laughs> completely. Oh, my gosh. It was Job from uh, Arrested Development. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Okay. So before we truly embark on our conversation, I, I want to know what's the proper terminology for slower runners like and I mean this sincerely like is using the term slow acceptable as I was typing up these notes I felt like it might be kind of like the word fat that if we shy away from it then it inherently means that we believe the word has negative connotations or that we're passing judgment rather than stating an adjective I think of it a lot like the word jogger like I think some people Mm. take offense to it and I think some people Mm. are fine with it and accept that it's just part of who they are or how they run. So I Mm -hmm. think it's a little bit like who you're talking to and how they feel about the word and kind of taking your cues, like in a lot of things, taking your cues on the person you're talking to. If they call themselves a slow runner, then I think slow Mm -hmm. is totally fine to use. I also Mm -hmm. like when I am working with athletes, I always make them qualify what they mean by slow because it's not an actual pace. And that's why Mm -hmm. I use the term back of the packer. Like what is slow for somebody who has previously run a sub 18 5k and what is slow to somebody whose goal is to run a 5k ever is a very, Mm -hmm. very different pace. So Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. all relative, I think is another part of that word slow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. All right. I like that. I like words. So that that was intriguing to me. Okay. So I don't okay. think there's a right or wrong answer is the, <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> Way to equivocate there. Jen. <laughs> Th- thanks. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, let's jump in with both feet. And as we so often do, we turn to our Facebook community for questions. And I tried to divide the questions up into topics, starting with training. So let's kick things off with this question from Shelly. I know I'm supposed to do my long runs slower than my normal pace, but how do you go slower when you're already slow? So obviously Shelly embraces the term slow. I think that the in the world of social media where we have so much access to so much content, it's really easy to get caught up and go slower, keep it an easy pace. I think the long run effort or the easy pace, it's more just making sure that you can catch your breath and that you can speak to like a friend. So Coach Mandy and I do the 5K program. And one of the things that we always tell runners when they're starting out is to use like the sing test. Mm -hmm. So can you sing the Full House theme song? If you can, then you're doing great. If you can't like hum it to yourself without losing your breath, 
then you need to slow down, even if that means taking a walk break. But otherwise, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Just make sure you can, you know, say a full sentence or sing that to yourself. <laughs> okay, can I, I, I would fail that test no matter what pace I was going because Same. I do, I do not know the full house theme song. So uh, can we do, <laughs> can we do Gilligan's Island or <laughs> any, the any Oscar theme Meyer, song is uh, really good. <laughs> <laughs> the old one was the Brady Bunch. Yes. I like mm-hmm. Friends because Friends is always on in my house. Mm-hmm. So I think it just, whatever the theme song is would work. <laughs> So Sarah wrote in and asked for training, how do we accommodate the miles we need to hit when we don't have the time it takes to complete them because we're running slower? I think that this is a really hard question, mostly because if I don't want to discourage anybody from running a certain distance, I also don't want people to commit to something that they can't train well for and then get injured, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you start thinking about like a half marathon and a marathon, those bigger distances. So maybe now is not the time of life to train. And I would say this for anybody, regardless of their pace, if you can't like get training done, you really don't want to get injured. And that's my fear in people showing up under trained to races. That being said, I think that plans that tend to focus on a time-based system work really well for slower runners. You're getting the time on your feet, even if it looks different. So instead of a three mile run, you're doing a 40 minute run. And then at least you know how long you have to be out there. It's a lot easier to plan your life around a time-based plan than maybe a mileage-based plan where some days you might be, you know, closer to 12 and other day minute miles and other days you're, you know, closer to a 15 minute mile. Yeah. And I often remind athletes that it's not the standalone 20 mile run that prepares you to run a marathon. It's the cumulative load over time, that durability that you're building from all of the runs that gives you the best preparation. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Erin has a corollary question. When you are a slower runner and short on time, she's a mother and a teacher. How do you suggest we maximize our workouts in the shortest amount of time? I think it starts by picking the plan that's going to get you to your goal. So whatever that is, and then do the thing on the plan. I think that it's a lot easier when you're short on time to have a plan you believe in that you can just look at, check off the box and do the thing instead of, well, my plan says this, but I kind of want to do this and maybe I'll do this. It's like the time and the mental energy that even those five minutes can take up a lot. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, part of your runtime, just kind of all of that. So if it's a speed run, then you're just going to go do it, even if it's not what you feel like doing that day. But again, (laughs) this goes back to what Coach Liz says, is it's the cumulative effect of all of the training for a race, right? So what you do in one workout isn't going to change anything. It's what you do over the course of the whole training cycle that's put together. So just showing up every day or most days for the runs on your schedule or what's going to maximize your time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. That's a good reminder for everybody. As you said earlier, Jen, no matter what their pace is. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this one from Megan she says, I've heard recently from different coaches on social media that even though pace is slow, you shouldn't run more than three or four hours for your longest run. I'm currently training for my first marathon and I'm curious on the validity of these statements. Should I train for miles or time for my longest run? You know, you've talked about 
doing it for time, but there is the concern among backup hackers, you know, how long should their longest run be? You know, is there a deleterious effect if you're out there for too long? So I think that, again, it depends is when most things in running, right? (laughs) For like the athletes I work with one-on-one who are the back of the packers, we always have a conversation going into a marathon training cycle on how they feel about it. Do they think they mentally need to get to that like 20 mile run? And then we talk about how you don't actually have to run 20 miles to do it, to finish a marathon. You can finish a marathon on much less time on feet, like in one race, in one run. And then we kind of have that conversation on, are you somebody who mentally needs to know you've done that distance before? Or can you just trust the process? And everybody's going to be a little bit different in that. And then you just need to make sure that the rest of your plan follows that. So if you're somebody who needs a three-hour long run, you need to make sure that you also have a second run that weekend that's going to get you, you know, like an eight-mile run. So I'm a big fan of like a 16-mile run and an eight-mile run or a three-hour run and a 90-minute run Mm -hmm. if you can't do the full long run, just to make sure you're really practicing that running on tired legs so you kind of can simulate as much as possible that end of marathon distance or for a half marathon, a similar idea, like an eight mile run or a two hour run and an hour run the next day, things like that Mm -hmm. to really get the effect of running on tired legs. So you feel strong at the end of your race and not hating things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Coach Jen, while you were talking just then, a question popped into my head that I want to direct to both of you, and, and Jen, you can take it first, that when you mentioned, you know, coaching back of pack runners, do you find that more of your clients these days are more back of the pack runners? Like, I'm wondering if sometimes back of pack runners would be like, oh, well, coaches are just for the speedsters up at the front. And do you find that there's more of them coming to it and that you know, that they can see the value when it's not like you're saying, okay, let's, I'm only going to train people who want to break two hours in the half marathon, you know, that there's a lot of value to a coach for a variety of time and pace goals. So I've been doing this almost five years. And I would say that it definitely has changed, Mm. even in that short of a time period, in that more back of the pack runners are seeing the validity in it and are feeling confident enough to reach out to coaches to work, even runners who are just getting started, Mm -hmm. you know, people who have maybe tried to do it on their own and haven't had the accountability or have had lots of injuries from overuse or shin splints, tendonitis, those overuse injuries are kind of realizing the value in working with somebody else, having that outside perspective on their plan on what they should do next so that they're not, you know, killing themselves to try and run 20 miles when that's going to take eight hours, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, in my practice, yes, I coach all speeds of athletes. And I think the back of the pack athlete really benefits from a coach because the traditional plans that are out there just don't work for them. You know, if you take, I'm thinking of a woman I coach, her race pace is 13 to 14 minute miles for the marathon. If you told her to do a midweek you know, a traditional midweek, uh, mid-distance long run of 10 miles, she doesn't have time to be out there for two and a half hours before work. So mm-hmm. finding creative ways to help the back of the pack athletes to get in the work they need, fitting it into their busy life. Also, 
they're out there so much longer that the, the little things like the fueling and the hydration, those things really come more into play. So they need more guidance on that because a lot of the information out there is for those more middle to front of the pack runners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's an important message for people to hear because I, again, I do think that sometimes a coach has this kind of shiny, prestigious, I mean, you all are very shiny and prestigious, don't get me wrong, but that, but that it's something, oh, it's only for those other people. And Mm -hmm. I hope people listening are going to hear that they can benefit and feel welcome and supported by coaches. Yeah. So Jen, you've already covered this some, but Kathleen has a question that I, I think it's sort of worth reiterating or maybe saying in a different way. If you follow a plan that uses time versus mileage, how do you make up for any distance gap in your training come race day? I think that you need to trust the plan. Um, and then we kind of said this, right? Coach Liz just said it. I think that's where having, whether it's, you know, whatever kind of plan you're using, making sure that there's a human on the other side of it, mm. that you can ask questions too, rather than just, you know, downloading the free plan online. There's so many plans that you can use now that there is a coach, there is support, right? All of our plans that you can ask, hey, this is what I got to and this is where I'm going. What do I need to do? And it's going to vary for every race distance and whatever your run pace was. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a very different conversation for somebody who's like a 16 minute miler versus somebody who's a 12 minute miler and Mm -hmm. what they might need to change or add into that plan. Mm -hmm. VG, and we might not be pronouncing that correctly. And if that's the case, I apologize. Mm -hmm. She asked, they say you got to run slower to get faster. How is it possible to apply that when you're slow to start with? thinking about time on feet. So it might mean that you're doing walks sometimes or hikes sometimes instead of running. And again, this we kind of talked about this similar idea before too is just the easy or the running slow doesn't mean like slowing down necessarily. It just means that you can catch your breath. And so for a lot of us or humming that theme song. So for a lot of us, it's going to be throwing in some walk breaks especially if you're in a hilly area. I know where I live, I walk a lot of the hills on my easy quote unquote run days because I need to have a full breath and I can't get it if I'm trying to run up a hill and I don't, that's not the point of the workout. So that's not what I'm doing. So I think that that's, it's just increasing the time on feet and it's okay if you're walking, it doesn't make you less of a runner. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So for this question from Lisa, I'm going to ask once again, both of you coaches to answer. So Lisa says, yay. She was excited about the topic and she's very specific. She says, I'm a 636 to 643 marathoner. And she has a question about the 80, 20 or low heart rate training short workouts. She's fine, but after about an hour or 60 minutes, her heart rate starts creeping up and she uses the run-walk method and ends up walking way too much. She wants to know if you all have any recommendations and she's also dealing with the heat in Phoenix. And so Liz, you're our resident heart rate coach. So boom, you go first. (laughs) Will do. Uh, First, with any heart rate training plan, you need to make sure that you are using accurate current heart rates. These are not the heart rate zones that are in your uh, device automatically or 220 minus your age. Be sure that you're using a, a good heart rate test to get your individualized zones. 
assuming that Lisa is using those, when someone says to me, you know, after 60 minutes, my heart rate starts creeping up. There's a few reasons for that. And one she kind of clued us into the fact that she lives in Arizona and it's very hot there. So your heart rate will drift up when you're starting to get dehydrated, fatigued, um, or sometimes you're getting hungry. So the first thing would be make sure you go into every workout hydrated. It's going to be hard. She probably exists in a constant state of dehydration with where she lives. But staying on top of your fluids and electrolytes throughout the day, you know, every three hours during the day, we should be urinating to show that our hydration's on track and bringing hydration on every run, no matter how short it is. Um, I would say anytime you go out the door for more than 20 minutes in the summer, no matter where you live, you should have your uh, water bottles with you. So understanding her sweat rate, you can easily do that. Weigh yourself before and after your runs. Keep track of how much you drank. And that gives you an idea of how much fluid do you need to prevent that 2% loss of dehydration, which is going to start to impact your performance. And another thing, and it sounds like she's already doing this, but she's using it as more of a reactive strategy than proactive. And that would be implementing those walk breaks from the beginning. Guys, there's nothing wrong with walking in your run training. I do it every single run, no matter how fast or how slow I'm running. And the reason why we do walk breaks from the get-go is they help bring that heart rate down. They help you run better when you're running. And they help you dissipate a little bit of heat. And in the summer, that's super important. So a walk break might be every 10 minutes, I'm going to walk for 15 seconds. And maybe as the run goes on, you stretch those walk breaks out a little bit further. But I would do those from the beginning. I would also just anticipate that your heart rate's going to drift up. You know, in the summer, it's not unusual for that heart rate to run, let's say, you know, sometimes five to 10 beats higher. We want to keep track of that because that is a stress, but I also wouldn't obsess too much about it. Wow. Liz, man, that, that yeah. was, that was did beautiful. I, did I pass? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. There's nothing else to say. <laughs> I mean, did I get the job? <laughs> did I keep the job? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, who else has the image of Carrie Strug nailing that landing right now? <laughs> Jen, she bought you a pass on that one. There is no no need to elaborate further. I have nothing yes. else to say. So. Thank you. Your Honor, the, the prosecution rests. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break to hear from the brands that let us bring you this enlightening free content. Please support them like they support us. When we come back, we'll talk more about life at the back of the pack. Stay with us. Okay, we just heard from our friends at Goo Energy Labs there. So let's talk about fueling and hydration more. So Jennifer writes, first, thank you for shining a light on us slower runners who have extra race day logistics concerning fuel and hydration. And then she wants suggestions for three hour or longer half marathoner. She says about midway through her stomach can't handle gels anymore. I relate to this on so many levels. I get like texture <laughs> fatigue from the gels after about that, like after about two hours, I'm training for a marathon right now. I just don't want to eat another gel. Mm -hmm. So there are so many other choices out there. There are gummies. I actually used gummy bears on my last run. Mm. 
There's the mini waffles, so like the mini mm-hmm. versions of them that are really easy to throw in a backpack and they don't get as crumbly as the large ones, mm. which I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Applesauce pouches are another good one that most moms have readily available in their houses <laughs> if you have young kids still. Mm-hmm. So those are my three favorites. I've had other friends use... Um, Sour Patch Kids, Mm. anything in that like gummy consistency, I think people tend to like. And it's that readily available sugar Mm -hmm. that makes it a pretty good training aid. You just want to make sure if you're using something like that, that you have some additional electrolytes as well. So in your water, throwing in some kind of electrolyte. So you're also getting that in addition to that easy to take in mm-hmm. sugar. Mm-hmm. Although some of the goo chews do, I'm pretty sure they, they might, I don't know if they still do the the lime ones anyway, but I do want to caution, not the type of gummies that one might eat in Oregon or, or other States that have legalized. <laughs> yes, very true. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I got some peach gummies upstairs, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> no, straight up sugary gummy bears, nothing else. <laughs> Lately I've been all about the, uh, Trader Joe's, it's something called like just lobsters or something. It's they taste just like Swedish fish. But Trader Joe's typically does all these kind of sea creatures, but I think people just want the red ones that are like Swedish fish. So I have a couple of those mid afternoon at my desk. Full confession. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> before we launch into the next question, just adding on to the last question, the, mm-hmm. the final sentence in there where she says midway through her stomach can't handle gels anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to put a vote in there for hydration status, because when mm-hmm. your hydration status is impaired, you will not digest things well, no matter what you put into that stomach. So yes. really, before mm-hmm. before people start to rule out the sports foods, which are meant to be mm. digested and delivered on the fly, do some investigation on are you properly hydrated in your runs? And again, that's easy to do with a sweat rate test. Um, Anyone in any of my programs just post that on Ask the Coach and I can explain more to you about that. But now getting to our next question from Natalie, she asks, Mm -hmm. how much gear is too much for marathon training? Uh, It looks like she's carrying two liters and two 16-ounce bottles and wants to know, is that insane? This goes to what you just said, Coach Liz, on checking your hydration and knowing how much you need to have. If you are a really heavy sweater and it is a very hot, humid place where you are training right now, that might not be too much. Mm -hmm. It might be a lot for you to carry. You might want to stash some bottles somewhere or plan a refill station. But if that's what you need and that's what makes you feel comfortable and good on your run, then go for it. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. So now let's turn our attention to what I deemed as mindset slash attitude. And this is from Tess. How do you get beyond not being concerned with pace as a back of the pack runner? It's hard at times to not be comparing yourself to others or those in your run group. I think this is a really good time to find more run friends. Uh, if you're constantly feeling like you're not able to keep up with your run group and it's affecting you mentally, I think that it's a good chance to find other 
runner friends who are in the same position as you, whether you can meet them physically in person or it's a group that you find online, people you find, you know, on the internet in another mother runner that (laughs) you can kind of support each other and cheer each other on in that way. You're not alone. You're not the only one that's running the paces that you're running. And I think a lot of times when we run with people who are faster than us, it can get in our heads and make us think that that's the case where we're the only ones who are doing what we're doing or running how we're running when in reality, that's not true. And to surround ourselves with other people can be really helpful to kind of pull us out of that headspace. Mm, that's good. That's good. And maybe um, not scrolling Strava and Instagram and looking at people's paces quite so diligently after after a run. Yes. If mm-hmm. that is the thing, then get off the social media. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's new mom, Aaron, who says, and I think you might be able to relate to this, Jen. How do you deal with newly being at the back of the pack? I recently had my fourth baby and I'm struggling to get back to my old pace, she writes. One of my favorite tricks for anybody who's coming back from anything, any time off, whether it's an injury or becoming a mom or just life getting in the way and you've taken some time off is to take your watch or your Strava and reset everything. Mm. Uh, Because as you're training, you're going to get notifications that you just ran your fastest mile or you just (laughs) ran your fastest 5k or you just ran your fastest whatever, or you just hit this segment on Strava, the fastest that you've hit it. And so you'll see that you're growing even if it's different than it was before. It's still forward progress. And Mm -hmm. I think that can feel like a little cheers. It's that little hit of dopamine that we all love, right? Mm. And so I think that is one of my favorite tricks because even if it doesn't feel the same, you know, the numbers aren't the same, you're still getting that. And your body does remember. Your body does remember what it used to do and you will get back faster than it maybe took you in the first place to get to a certain pace or speed or whatever, if that's your goal. And you'll constantly get those little hits of dopamine from your watch cheering you on or your Strava or whatever it is. That's genius. Just just sheer genius. (laughs) (laughs) All the mind games. This is a question from our columnist, Beth Probst. Imposter syndrome. How do you pump yourself and remind yourself that you have earned the right to line up with everyone else? This one is so tough because it comes from such like a deep place for most people who are in that position. I think there are a lot of things you can do. And it starts again with the people that you're surrounding yourself with, whether it's your run club or your friends and finding people who are supportive of your running journey in your world, whether they are also running or not. When I started running and I was in the back of the pack, I didn't have anybody in my life who was a runner. So they were all super stoked for me just that I was doing these races. Mm. And I think that it helped in the sense, not that they could relate to any of my training or anything, but it helped that they were just excited for me. And I think that's true for most people. You have, you know, those in your life that are going to support you regardless of how fast you are or any of that. And so I think we need to be a little bit of our own cheerleader and tell people what we're doing, tell them that it matters to us and that we're excited to do it instead of downgrading what we're doing or, oh, I'm only going to run a 5K. 
No, you're freaking running a 5K. That's awesome. You're going to go finish a 5K. Nobody cares if it. you're just going to finish under the hour limit. Like they're going to be excited, you know, that you did it. And so find those people in your world because they'll help pull you along when you're getting down so that you feel excited about it. I also think this is where picking specific races can be really helpful as well Mm. to kind of research and look on the page. There are races that are more friendly for walkers. So if you know you're a back of the packer and you're towards the the back of the back of the pack, then you want to pick, you know, those races that you think you can finish within that time limit or pretty close to it. And they'll be more supportive. You can look at race reviews and that sort of thing. Whereas other races are known for being really fast and you're going to have a lot of people that are trying to, you know, run it really, really fast. And that would might be more discouraging than not. So kind of if you want to do races, picking the ones that are going to be more friendly to you as well. Do the two of you feel that there are more races that are becoming more friendly, more, you know, kind of doing a bigger hug to be welcoming of all paces? Yes, even in the triathlon mm-hmm. community mm. to help some of the more timid swimmers. They have floating pads out there that you can take a break on. Oh. Yeah. So I, I I think people have realized to make sports sustainable to recreational athletes, you have to reach more people and mm-hmm. more people will have less skills sometimes. So you just have to cater to everyone. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's intriguing. And I think that there's a difference Between like some races, for example, the New York Marathon, they still have an official cutoff time. I think it's six hours Mm -hmm. right around there because they have to open the streets. Mm -hmm. But they will celebrate until the last runner comes in. And so there's people out at the finish line until, you know, midnight, 1 a.m. And so I think that that is still a big thing in running that intimidates a lot of people and scares people is there's the official finish line or the official race limit. Mm-hmm. And then there's what actually happens. And I think that discrepancy is where running is still working on catching up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our, our columnist, Adrian Martini wrote about when she ran New York city marathon and that she was of a pace that I'm pretty sure she ended up having to, you know, move be moved onto the sidewalk and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But boy, she just said the, the party was still very much going on at that finish line and how good that felt and how, you know, the affirmation of herself as an athlete was, was very fulfilling. So it was nice to read about it and, and, and good to hear you confirm that. So awesome. So Allison asks, how do I get over the idea that I'm still good enough when I am getting even slower as I get older? I think that this is one of those that it's going to happen to all of us at some point. Unless you start running significantly later in life, most of us who start running in our 20s and 30s and you know even younger than that, there is a point where you're going to slow down. And I, that's where finding something else to fulfill you within running is really important. So what else are you running for other than to find the speed or to PR? Are you running because it makes you feel strong? Are you running because you love your running community? Are you running for 
whatever the other thing is for the peace of mind, for the moment of quiet, like why do you like getting out the door and really focusing on that? And that becomes the thing that you run for. Mm -hmm. I think that's where you find the value in yourself and in the run in general, rather than just focusing on the pace so much. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to get caught up in pace and running is about so much more than pace. Mm -hmm. That's awesome to hear you tell, remind people that the, they can find other things in running that fills their cup. Our, the guest on last week's podcast was Tina Muir about um, becoming a sustainable runner and how she, you know, she was a former pro runner. She really felt burnt out and how now the past, I don't know, a year or so she has been leading runners, you know, visually impaired runners, runners with other physical challenges and how that has just been incredibly fulfilling for her. So I think there's, there are so many options and sometimes we get a little tunnel vision when it comes to running. So, all right. Well, Carrie confesses, I get stressed by race time limits. This goes back to what you were talking about, Jen. For mm-hmm. example, a six hour full marathon time limit. Any tips for addressing this anxiety since it only seems to get in my head and I run slower? Ooh. Yeah. I actually had an athlete that did not finish her first marathon because she got to the halfway mark, freaked out that she wasn't going to finish and then had a full on panic attack. Oh. Um, I It's not uncommon. Uh, like I mentioned it before that that is a thing. And so I think it's really important when you are picking your race that if you want to tackle the distance, that's awesome. I think that if you want to run a marathon, everybody who wants to should try it. I think it can change your life in so many ways, the training and the process and all of it. A half marathon, like anytime you try and do a distance that's big and scary for you. But picking a race that's going to be supportive of your abilities, right? Whether like whatever time that is. And if you've already like committed to a race, I think you just need to go out and do what you can do because that's, you can't automatically make yourself be a faster runner. And just like picking a training plan and showing up and doing it, I think you need the getting to that mental head space where it's, I'm just going to show up and see what happens today and take every day with that. And you can practice that in training, right? So I'm not going to worry about my pace today. I'm just going to show up and I'm going to do this walk run and that's what I'm going to do. Or I'm going to show up and I'm just going to run my two hour run and I can do what I can do today. But making sure you're mentally practicing getting into that headspace in every run and not just waiting until race day and then trying to work on that mental piece, but really using all of the training runs leading up to race day to get into that mental space of, I only can do what I can do. I'm going to show up and I'm going to see what happens can make a world of difference. And I know that it doesn't seem like much, but it makes a big difference when you do it for, you know, 12 or 16 weeks in a row. (laughs) Can I just tell you that my entire recording space smells like ink because I'm so frantically writing down so much of what you say? I mean, honestly, I'm getting a little contact buzz over here. So, (laughs) Well, I feel honored. (laughs) Okay, gals. So let's just have kind of an open-ended, are there any topics or concerns that you both of you think we've neglected. So coach Jen, you want to go first and then Liz, if you can think of something you can chime in, if not, we'll just cut you off and and go to the brand mansion, but go ahead, coach Jen. (laughs) (laughs) So when I first emailed you about this idea 
for this podcast, mm-hmm. it was because I had listened to two or three other running podcasts about run fueling. And I was like pretty annoyed by what I was hearing because everybody kept saying to fuel within, you know, three to four miles was what they kept saying. Mm. And I was thinking of so many athletes that I work with. And by the time they're at four miles, they're, you know, 45 an hour into their run. And I just kept thinking, no, that's too late. Mm -hmm. Like the, and so when you are a back of the pack runner, I think that the, you need to increase when you're fueling. And that's why I do it always by time. You Mm want to fuel 30 to 40 minutes into your run, regardless of how far you're going. And then you want to fuel again 30 minutes after that. And then every 30 minutes in your long runs, anytime over 90 minutes, you want to make sure that you're bringing that fuel. And if it's really hot and humid, you're going to bring that up. So you're getting enough electrolytes as well Mm -hmm. to that hour mark, start taking something so that you can finish without feeling like you're hitting that wall without feeling like you have nothing left to give. Mm -hmm. That was one of my big takeaways in it was it's not three to four miles. It's like 30 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So Liz, do you have any parting on moats for the back of the Packers? I think we, that means good words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks for translating that. Uh, The thing that keeps coming up in my mind is, is just reminding any runner that the value of your goal is not related to the swiftness of your pace. Mm. So I would rather work with a runner who's out there running 13, 14, 15 minute miles and they are motivated and they enjoy it and they're truly engaged in the the process versus someone trying to break three hours and they're totally miserable. Mm. So everybody's goals have value no matter how long you're out there if it means something to you it's meaningful Hmm. love that right on oh Hmm. (laughs) i'm making the little taylor swift you know heart heart thing with my two (laughs) hands so you (laughs) both of you were absolute joys to talk to about this topic and and coach jen i uh, gave you shout outs before you hopped on thank you so much for suggesting this topic i really appreciate it Thank you so much for taking it on. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. All righty. Well, Liz, I, I was honest. I have written down so much. I just, this was just really eye opening and affirming to me. So I don't, I'm at a loss for words actually. (laughs) Yeah, no, Jen, Jen was the, the perfect person to speak on this topic. She just has a way, doesn't she? Of, I know. <laughs> of just making you feel like everything's going to be okay and just boiling it down to simple but very uh, meaningful terms. I know. So yeah. So I, I think we need to shine a brighter spotlight on her in the Train Like a Mother Club. That's what I'm going to tell Dimity when I get off this call. So all right. Well, I know you've heard me talk up our Hilton Head Island retreat in early November. But this is breaking news. We have a sale on the registration price, a Labor Day weekend flash sale where we have dropped the price to $929. Folks, this is your chance to join us on lovely Hilton Head Island right off the coast of South Carolina to hear guest presenters, go on group runs along the flat, hardpack beach, eat delicious meals, do yoga, uh, do karaoke, all with new friends and 
uh, friends you already have from our online community. It's all amazing. And it's all done from a beautiful beachside location called the Beach House. And this might be our last retreat for the foreseeable future. So with that in mind, plus the fact that we have this massive sale, did I mention it's almost $400 off the registration cost? You need to sign up now. Go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events in the top navigation bar. There's going to be a drop down menu. You're going to click on Hilton Head Island, see all the details, and then you're going to register because you want to be a part of this fun, awesome extended weekend. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events at the top of the homepage. And I hope to see you on Hilton Head Island in early November. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medora from Fire on the Bluff. Liz, you're up next. Oh, I had sent you a text about this question. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm supposed to keep your phone on during the recording, Sarah. I did, I did, but I was too busy writing. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you have to listen to next week's episode of Answers because I tell Dimity about how I encountered the mermaid who lives in my pond. And, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. Found and, mermaid. Uh, found change. <laughs> found a whole human down there. <laughs> Not a human, a mermaid. And uh, it's so, oh, so geez. funny because I thought ahead of time, I thought, oh my gosh, Dimity's going to fully scoff at me for, for saying that, that there's a mermaid. Oh, she just got on board the mermaid train and was just my co-pilot in it. It was awesome. <laughs> We've all learned that sometimes it's best to just let Sarah finish. <laughs> <laughs> Barry. Barry. Oh, no. Um, Where did Barry go? Barry's out on the Oregon Trail in his scooter.